tonight and last night. Raise your hand for me. Thank you. It is a difficult thing to come out service after service, but it is a rewarding thing, and I'm glad you've been here. I know those that haven't been able to be here, some have sent me a text and said, I watched online. I had to work, but I got home like five minutes before church, and I watched. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful for that. It's the beauty of the modern age. Uh, Instead of being mad about not being able to be here, there's now a solution for those that can't be. And so for those that are watching online, uh, we certainly appreciate you tuning in and being a part of our revival as well. I have enjoyed hearing the messages. Last night's was powerful, uh, very much needed, uh, very much on point, as all of Brother Dave's messages always are. So, Brother Summerdorf, if you'll come again and preach for us this evening. Thank you, Brother. And good evening, church family. Good to see you this evening. A blessing to be here tonight. Uh, Tuesday night, the week is going by so quickly. And just want to say thank you for your wonderful, wonderful hospitality. A very special thank you for the opportunity we had to spend a little time with Brother Ken and Miss Lydia and, of course, Christian and Evelyn. We had a wonderful morning this morning, and it was a delight. We appreciate uh, the wonderful time we had, the blessing you always are, well, always are to us in the short time we've gotten to meet you. And then uh, tonight, Ron and Pat, where are they hanging? Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, We appreciate the great time. And uh, the wonderful meal you afforded us. We had a long drive tonight to go to eat. We walked about 100 feet out of the hotel and just walked right over to the, uh, the steakhouse there. And uh, great time. Over all the years, we've known you guys for a long time. Amen. And yet you still wanted to take us out. We appreciate that. But we had a great time, great fellowship. And uh, always enjoy hearing what the Lord's doing in your lives. It's good that Miss Pat's with us. Amen. What a miracle there, and uh, we, appreciate, we appreciate that very much. Well, let's take our Bibles now. Let's go to First Peter. I know that comes as a surprise. We're going to be in First and Second Peter, but we'll be there tonight. First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. And I want to begin reading in verse number 12, and I believe everybody has a handout. I did introduce last night this thought by saying this, that this will probably be a message that You will take the worksheet and slide it into the leaf of your Bible, the inside cover, and probably reference weekly, if not daily, for the rest of your Christian life. Notice what's said here in 1 Peter 3 and verse number 12. It says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, and Who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Notice verse 17, For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. You know, a couple days ago we looked at the morning, in the morning message at an incorruptible salvation that we enjoy in the person of Jesus Christ. Then last night we saw an unmistakable command. That was to be holy because our Heavenly Father is holy. 
But tonight I want to look at an unavoidable consequence. An unavoidable consequence, not simply for living for Jesus Christ, but we could almost say this, an unavoidable consequence simply of life. And that unavoidable consequence is suffering. I'd like to preach about that tonight. Here from 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege again we have to be in your house and with your dear folk. We simply ask in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would bless our time together. Lord, we pray that you would instruct us and challenge us. And then, Lord, give us the truth of your word in such a way we'll not so soon forget it. And, Lord, use it instead for years to come. Help us, Lord, to recognize the benefits and blessings of suffering that we could also likewise be a blessing to others through our suffering. Use the thought tonight in a special way. And if there is one among us who is not saved, how I pray tonight, they would see their need for a Savior who suffered and died for them. And I ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when you get into 1 and 2 Peter, you'll find, and it would make sense because these people that are being directly written to are under incredible trials and tribulation. You'll find the word suffering in some variation recorded at least 12 times in these two short, short epistles. And I notice here that a lot of times when when you look at suffering, there's such a negative context to that. I mean, most of us don't like that idea. But you and I need to recognize that though most of us spend a lifetime Avoiding suffering, yet in this life, suffering is unavoidable. And for the most part, could I add, unenjoyable. Suffering defined is simply this, to undergo pain, inconvenience, or loss. To bear what is disagreeable or distressing. I want to look at three things that the Bible addresses concerning suffering. I want to look at the reasons for suffering. Number one. Number two, I want to consider our responses to suffering. And then thirdly, I want to look at what the Bible has to say about the rewards and blessings of suffering. So let's look, first of all, at the reasons for suffering, for trials and suffering. You know, the suffering comes for various reasons, and I found the Word of God shows us four reasons for suffering. Have your pens ready. Number one, you will find Scripture tells us that there is a suffering associated with living in sin. Write that down. There is a suffering that is associated with living in sin. We see some examples. You don't need to turn there, but you think of Achan in Joshua 7, how he disobeyed the command of God. He took of the accursed thing. He cursed the house of Israel, and he suffered a premature death because of his sin and disobedience to God. You think of the thief on the cross in Luke 23, how he suffered crucifixion and agonizing death. And in the midst of all that was going there, the story of the ages in those three crosses, there came a point in one of those thieves' lives as the other was railing against Jesus. He said, knock it off, for we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds." Can I remind you there is pain people undergo today, there's loss, there's inconvenience, 
There's disagreeable and distressing things in people's lives because of, number one, sin and poor choices. All right? There's a suffering associated with sin and poor choices. Number two, the Bible records a second area of suffering and how it comes. There is a suffering associated with simply the circumstances of life. Write that down. There is a suffering, the Bible shows us, that is simply associated with the circumstances of life. Go back to Genesis 3, and we would call this the sin curse that every one of us is under, whether we're lost or saved. Look at what's said in Genesis 3 and, and verse number 16. Uh, man has fallen into sin, Genesis three sixteen, And notice the penalty phase being handed out. And notice how much suffering is in the sin curse upon the earth today. In Genesis three sixteen, he says, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and, and he shall rule over thee. And then he turns to Adam and said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Notice here in Genesis 3, we see the second reason for suffering today. And it's a, it's a suffering that's associated simply with the circumstances of life. I call it the sin curse. I like how Jesus Christ said it in John 16, 33, turning to his disciples, he said, In this world ye shall have tribulation. Amen. And there's a suffering that's simply part of the sin curse that happened all the way back in Adam, in Adam's day. Amen. And we experience that. Thirdly, there is a suffering, you'll find Scripture teaches this, associated with Satan. Write that down. There is a suffering associated with Satan, the powers of darkness. You don't need to turn there. I referenced it. Job 2.7 says this, So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils. All right, there is a suffering that's associated with Satan. There, there's pain, inconvenience, and loss from the powers of darkness in the atmosphere of this earth. And then fourthly, write this one down, you'll find Scripture teaches there is a suffering associated with living for the Savior. Write that down. There is a suffering associated with living for the Savior. I'd like you to turn to one text here in 2 Timothy. Look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We see the Bible reconfirm this and confirm this truth. Uh, we're looking at the reasons for trials and suffering. There's a suffering associated with sin. There's a suffering associated with the circumstances of life. There's a suffering associated with Satan. But fourthly, there is a suffering associated with living for the Savior. 2 Timothy 3.12, notice what's said in verse 11, 2 Timothy 3. Paul is looking at all that he's going through for the Savior, and he gives a list of all these things. And notice in verse 11, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. And notice what he says now, verse 12, verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Amen? You know, the fourth reason for suffering is there is a suffering 
associated with living for the Savior. Let's go to our second point. What should our responses be to trials and suffering? Our responses to trials and suffering. You know, something you need to recognize, and this is important, Jonah had a trial and experienced suffering because he had disobeyed God. Well, I'm going to say that again. You know, you know the scripture, Jonah experienced trials and suffering because he had disobeyed God. But I see in Scripture, Paul had trials and experienced suffering because others disobeyed God. Remember the shipwreck? Said, y'all should have listened to me. You know, you shouldn't have gone. And now we're floating ashore and going through all this because you disobeyed God. But then thirdly, the disciples had trials and experienced suffering because they obeyed God. Now, why am I saying that? You know, every trial, every bit of suffering you go through requires a different response. You have to identify where the suffering and where the loss and where the pain is coming from, why it's in your life, because each one of those avenues requires a different response. Get your pens ready. This is important. Because we like to just blanket it. All suffering is of the devil. (laughs) All right, number one. If the suffering is due to sin, what do you think your response should be? It starts with an R. Repent. Write that down. If your suffering is due to personal sin, and the Bible is very clear, suffering does occur because of wicked choices we make. You and I need to repent. Look in James. Go to the book of James very quickly, just in in front of first, first and Second Peter, James chapter uh, five. Look with me in verse number fourteen. James five fourteen. The Bible shows us this. This is uh, very applicable today. If if your suffering is due to sin, you need to repent. Look in James five verse fourteen. He said, "Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick." And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that she may be healed. He said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Here we see someone is sick, someone has experienced suffering and pain and loss, and the reason in context is because of sin in their life. People ask me, do you believe in faith healing? I do. I have no time for faith healers. But I believe in faith healing. It's right there in the book of James. As a pastor, I've actually gathered men and we've actually used oil. We've just followed the book of James and we've anointed them with oil and prayed for them. And if there's sin, we ask them to, to get right with God. You know what I'm saying? You know, if you're undergoing pain and in, in, inconvenience and loss right now and it's because of sin in your life, and if you're saved, God points that out. He'll show you. You need to repent. Drop the sin and get back to a, a walk with the Savior. Amen? You know, a lot of times when I come into churches, one of the things that will happen, and it doesn't happen as much since COVID, but pastors will say, I'm going to make a hospital visit. Brother Dave, would you like to come with me? I say, sure. And so we go to make the visit. Now, I don't know who the person is. Maybe I do. Maybe I've met them before. But usually there's somebody I don't really know. And so we come. We read some scripture. The pastor talks to them. And because I'm the visitor, guess what? I'm the one who gets asked to pray. And I remember years ago, I would just pray the standard, Lord, bless our brother. 
Lord, bless our sister. I don't do that now. I walk my way through the reasons they may be there. Lord, now if this dear sister, she is, is, has a sin in her life that she just refuses to get right, may you use this time of suffering to get her to finally just get sick of her sin and confess it. And Lord, if it's those simply the circumstances of life, Lord, you give her and we'll work our way through the list. But I just run through it. I don't know the person. And listen, if I come to pray for you, you don't want me to just do, you know, da 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 You want me to pray wisely. Amen? It may hurt, but it will help. Amen? And so if the, if the suffering is due to sin, repent. Number two, if the suffering is due to simply the circumstances of life, this sin-cursed earth and the aging process, resolve, resolve to stay faithful. Amen? Resolve to stay faithful. And I added to that, ask the Lord for strength. Look at Hebrews 4. Look at Hebrews 4. I wasn't planning to mention this, but this is a dear section of Scripture to me. And it's something that, that you and I should strongly consider uh, when the circumstances of life come along and the aging process, all that goes with the sin curse. In Hebrews 4, look at what's said here in verse number 14. The Bible says, seeing then that we have a great high priest. Well, you know his name. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. That is passed unto the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Verse 15 of Hebrews 4. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Notice verse 15. You and I serve a God who can be touched. Wow. That's sweet. Therefore, because he is so touchable and so approachable, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace for what reason that we may obtain mercy and then find grace to help in time of need. Amen. God's grace isn't just an eraser. God's grace is his power and his ability to help you accomplish his will. Amen. Yeah. And so if you're in my suffering, if we're undergoing pain and trials and inconvenience or loss, simply due to the circumstances of life, resolve to be faithful. It wasn't that long ago in New England, Pastor, I was there in the service and getting ready to preach. And he did this. He said this to the church. And it was so, I thought, wow, that's cute. And he has, a, he has an older church in one half, and then he has a lot younger church in the other, like yours, very well represented in the age groups. And he said, he just before the service started, he said, now I need to make an announcement as your pastor. I need to just share this and give you guys some guidance. Number one, for those of you that are older, you're up in years, I want to remind you, young people don't always want to hear from you what's falling apart in your life. That's what he said, you know. And then he turned to the young people and he said, And young people, when they tell you what's going wrong physically, don't roll your eyes, don't get upset, because one day you'll be there as well. Amen? And I just loved how he addressed both, both sides, you know? Could I just remind you, we're falling apart. Amen? This is the circumstances of life. Gentlemen, your chest, chest is going for your drawers. Your get-up-and-go, is it's gone. And, you know, ladies, you're going to have to paint the barn a lot more. It's just life, all right? This is how it is. Quit getting all upset about it. Lost people go through it, too. It's just part of the curse of this earth. Amen? But in the midst of it all, resolve to stay faithful. Amen? 
no matter what you're going through. Number three, if your suffering is due to Satan, what do you think the answer is there? Resist. Resist. Look at how Peter tells us to resist, though. This is very interesting. In 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse number 6. He says this, Humble yourselves, therefore. 1 Peter 5, 6. Uh, notice the first word there. Humble yourselves, therefore, unto the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he, he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. James tells us this. He says, submit yourselves to God, then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, if your suffering is due to Satan, you and I need to resist. I, I like to just make this note. The devil's not that afraid of you. Could I just say that? He really isn't. I, you know, I've had people say, well, pray for me. The devil's on my case. And I kind of like, oh, okay. Now, I don't think the devil's after me. I think I've got demon 394 down the list assigned to me. I think that's about all the threat I am to the kingdoms of darkness. I give myself too much credit to say the devil's after me. He's got some lackey way down the line, but he's probably after me, you know. But the powers of darkness are real. I've experienced it, even as a young Marine. Other Marines that were possessed and sailors that was involved in it, very real. The powers of darkness are very real. But I like what the little girl said when asked how she deals with the devil. She says, you know, when the devil knocks on my door, I send Jesus to answer it. He's not that concerned about us. It's Jesus Christ in us. There is our power. Amen? Rest in that. So submit yourself to God first. And in that strength, you resist the devil. And he'll then flee from you. Amen? So if your suffering is due to Satan, resist. But finally, if your suffering is due to your stand for the Savior, what do you think you should do? Rejoice. Write it down. You should rejoice. Look with me in Acts chapter 5 and look at this moment before we go to our final, final point here tonight. In Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, notice the apostles have been commanded not to speak in the name of the Lord. The council of Gamaliel has rescued them from what the crowd was going to do, which was stone them. And notice they all agreed, verse 40, Acts 5, to him they agreed, Gamaliel, that they shouldn't kill him. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, all right, there's the alternate, they got beaten instead of killed, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go, Acts 5.41. And they departed from the presence of the council, notice this, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And notice their ultimate response, oh, and by the way, daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Isn't that powerful? You know, if your suffering is due to your stand for your Savior, you ought to rejoice that you're worthy to suffer shame for His name. Amen? Now, I, I want to go back to First Peter because I want to give you something before I go to the final point that I think needs to be brought out in Scripture. Because you'll notice in First Peter 3, as we started, there seemed to be this delineation of why are you suffering? You need to pause and think about 
where the suffering is coming from. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 4, look at what's said in verse number 12. And again, these are new believers. They're being persecuted even to death. And notice what's said to them, 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now look at verse 14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Look at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, look at the summary, verse 9, let them that suffer according to the will of God Commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. I wrote at the bottom of that first page, and I think you and I need to just pause and think this through. Think of your life. I'm thinking of my life. And I have come to realize often in our lives, especially as American believers, there is very little suffering for our Savior. Much of our suffering is not for Him. Much of the pain and inconvenience and loss we, we experience oftentimes are poor choices we make. Even more so, there's simply the sin curse that everybody's going through. You're not special. You don't get a pass. It's gravity. It's on all of us. Amen? Rarely the powers of darkness pursue us, though they hate us, especially because Jesus is in us now. But if you were to add up all the pain and inconvenience and loss you've gone through this week, I would dare say probably very little is actually for your Savior. And yet, Scripture teaches you and I are called to suffer for him. Go to Philippians. Watch this. In Philippians chapter 1, notice this interesting little verse. In Philippians chapter 1, most of the pain and inconvenience and loss that we experience as American believers is not for our Savior. It's the sin curse. It's poor choices. It's things that are coming back in the law of sowing and reaping. And notice in Philippians... Philippians chapter 1, Philippians 1, verse 27 says this. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of, I could say this, one gospel. What, a, what an outline right there in a single verse. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an ad- evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Look at verse 29. What a powerful thought. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, 
not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. You know, can I just, when I look at who we are, (laughs) and I look at who we are as American believers, we're, we're those people that are really happy Jesus suffered for us. But we are stunned when He asks us to suffer for Him. Because all we want is a Savior who suffers for us. We don't want to suffer for Him. We just want to believe on Him. We want to believe on this suffering Savior and enjoy all the benefits that come with salvation. And yet, do you understand? Belief there is tied. It's a two-sided coin. If you've believed on Him, flip the coin. That means He's called you now to suffer for Him. You can't have one without the other. It's a spiritual impossibility. If you believed on him, then you're called to suffer for him. To undergo pain, inconvenience, to be inconvenienced to serve Jesus. What a thought to an American believer who who has no problem with God getting inconvenienced with our sin problem and having to go all the way out of his way and become a man and humble himself and become a servant so he can save us from sin. Everything that Jesus did for us was extremely inconvenient. There was nothing easy about Calvary and all that went with that. And we're happy to have him suffer for us. But we're astounded that he would ever call us to undergo pain and loss for him. I love how David said this. If you go back to 2 Samuel 24, one of my favorite little moments in the Old Testament, David has sinned against the Lord and he's numbered the people. He's numbered his armies. God curses him for that. You say, why? Why? Go to 2 Samuel chapter 24 with me. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, he, he numbers his, his armies. 2 Samuel chapter 24. God sends a pestilence. You say, why would the Lord be so upset about that? Do you understand that for a king, the army that he has is his security? All right? It's the king's 401k. It's the king's retirement. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the bigger the army, the more secure he is. And, you know, however you want to look at it. And here's this little shepherd boy that early in his walk with God, he got God's heart because God was his security in the midst of a Goliath, in the lion, all of that. It was God. That was his security. And now he's king and he switched securities. Now he's got his men and his bank accounts, and that's what he's trusting in. And God said, no, 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 I'm still your security. And God curses him for that. He gives him three choices, and David says, I'm going to fall on the mercies of God, three days pestilence. And David loses 70,000 soldiers just like that. And then suddenly the word comes out, listen, the destroying angel sent from God is paused at the threshing floor of Aruna. If you'll get up there and you'll sacrifice, God will stop. And so he goes up, and look at what's said here. He comes up, in verse 21, 
And Aruna asked the question, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice, threshing instruments, other instruments of the oxen for wood. And look at verse 23. All these things did Aruna as a king give unto the king. Pause. If there was a moment David would want a freebie, this was it. He just lost 70,000 of his men. I mean, the loss has had to have stung him, and he's coming up to sacrifice. And at that moment, Aruna says, what do you need? He says, I'm going to offer, I'm going to offer an offering. He said, here, you can have it for free, King David. David, you have the threshing floor. Here's everything you need, the oxen, all of it. David, you can have it. And boy, if there was a moment that David could have been tempted to say, yeah, that was the moment. He'd just come through incredible losses. Look at how he responded. The king said, verse 24, unto Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price, and neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. Wow. I don't know how you take that. That one gets me. (laughs) You know, David didn't want to worship the Lord conveniently. He wanted to worship the Lord sacrificially. He wanted his service to God to cost him something because he knew that's what would make it so sweet. Amen? And we're living in a day-to-day where in America, believers want a cost-free and convenient Christianity that worships at the altar of safety and self-preservation. And we are dying on the vine. We lack power. We lack zeal. All those things that come with sacrificial service to a sacrificial Savior. Yeah. Nothing's more dear than what you invest in. Amen? And the cause of Christ is worth investing in. And could I just remind you, say, why? Well, and we can just use all kinds of ways to, to examine investment, but we use the common one, you know, finances. Did you understand that what you came with, you're going to leave just like that? There's no hearses pulling a U-Haul. Amen? You don't take it with you. And we need to be so careful that we don't become hoarders that we remain helpers, and that we get joy out of investing in some cause that will never fail and a Savior whose kingdom will never end. What a privilege. Amen? You and I are called not just to believe on Him, but to suffer for Him because He suffered for us. Thirdly, I want to go to that last point because this one will really help your heart. I know we've tapped some things here, but this is the one I want to close with. The rewards of suffering. Do you know tonight there's great benefits that come with suffering? You know, if you and I think about it, often we view suffering as simply negative. You know, if it's going to be painful and inconvenient and it's, it's going to be distressing, I really, 
I don't see any value in that. Lord, would you just take that away from me? You know, that's how we pray. Lord, I don't want any problems. You know, I don't want any inconvenience. But you and I need to recognize there are incredible benefits and blessings that suffering brings when you respond to it properly. What do I mean by that? When you respond and not react. There's a difference, you know. You know, response is positive, reaction's negative. You go to the doctor and you got some problem and he prescribes something for you. You take the medicine and you break out in spots all over. You come back to see him, you know what he says? Oh, you're reacting to the prescription that I gave you. That's negative. Let me give you a different one. So he gives you a different script. You take that and all of a sudden, man, all those spots go away and whatever problem you originally were checking with, now you're feeling a lot better. And you know what? You come back and say, oh, you're responding well to the medications. You know, a reaction is negative. A response is positive. And so I contextually put this. There are great benefits and blessings that come with trials and suffering when they come in your life when you respond properly. Amen? Not react. Number one, write this one down. What is the first reward of suffering that you will find coming in your life when you respond properly to the trial? Number one, the first benefit is it brings glory to God. Your response to the trial brings glory to God. Look in 1 Peter 1. He says it right here. Verse number 6, 1 Peter 1, 6. He says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. The word temptations, trials, tribulations. Notice verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know the first benefit and reward of suffering, if you'll respond properly to it, is it brings glory to God. It's the silver lining. It'll bring God glory. Number two, it will draw you closer to God. Write this down. Trials and suffering, if you'll respond properly to them, whatever that response is, we looked at the four responses, it'll actually draw you closer to God. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 67. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Isn't that interesting? And basically he said, man, I was kind of going the wrong way. And then the trials came, the afflictions came, the suffering came, and he corrected my attitude, my direction, and my actions. Are you anything like me when you get sick? I, I, I mean, there's some sick I don't like. I, I can work my way through almost anything, but I hate the stomach flu. I hate motion sickness. All right, anybody ever been there? You know, I have an old commercial fisherman buddy of mine. He said, you know, when you're out there on the high seas, he said, and you get out there and you start getting motion sick, he said, the first couple of days, you're afraid you're going to die. You're so sick, you're afraid you're going to die. He said, then the next couple of days, you're so sick, you're afraid you're not going to die. You know, that's, I hate that. But man, I, when, I, when I get sick, right, I don't know who you are, but here's, man, I start confessing sin I've never committed. <laughs> Lord, forgive me for whatever. I just, ah, you know what I'm saying? I notice, I notice that I get very tender to the Lord. I begin to go ahead and pray more. I got nothing else to do. Amen. I begin to look to God. I get weary of this world. All those plans and all the happiness I was going to get. And now I'm just hugging a bowl. It's like, ah, 
Why do I want to stay around here? Heaven starts looking sweeter because you don't get sick in heaven. Amen? The earth starts looking a little, ah, why did I like this place so much? Y'all with me? I, I just, there's a silver lining to suffering that puts so many things in context. If you'll respond to it, it's a hidden blessing. Amen? It draws us closer to God, and thirdly, it builds our character. Suffering builds our character. And that character primarily is that reliance on Jesus Christ, not self. Notice in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul notes this. Look with me very quickly in 2 Corinthians 12. We're looking at the rewards and benefits of blessings and benefits and blessings of suffering when we respond properly. Look with me in 2 Corinthians 12. In 2 Corinthians 12 and verse number 8. Go to verse 7. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. You know, the third thing about sufferings and trial, if you respond properly, it not only builds your character, but your reliance on Christ as well. He says in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And notice how his prayer goes to the Lord like we all do. He says, For this thing I besought the Lord three times, thrice, that it might depart from me. He prayed and asked God to deliver him from the trial and the suffering. And look at what the Lord said in verse 9. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect Notice the inference in your weakness. Most gladly, Paul says now, therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. Wow. You know, the third great benefit and reward that comes for responding properly to trials and suffering is it builds our character and our dependence and reliance on Jesus Christ. Could I remind you that prosperity is not a great friend of the gospel? It's not. It's oftentimes a false reliance Oftentimes this dulls us to how finite we really are and how much we need Him. And in America, God has blessed America in a great way and that prosperity has been a blessing, but it's dulled many times the believers in the midst of all of the blessings of God. And then fourthly, I want you to write this down, and this is a big one. The fourth reward of suffering, if you'll respond properly to it, it allows you to be a blessing to others. It will allow you to be a blessing to others. First of all, by way of example. I have a dear friend in, in Fountain, Colorado, uh, uh, Pastor Hutto and his son Steve Hutto, the oldest son of a number of brothers there that work a ranch. Steve, a few years ago, was tearing down a building. They're handymen. They do everything from concrete pours to, to building to cattle to whatever. And something in there molds, whatever was there. He, he inhaled all of that. And now this, this father of about seven 
this dad that's probably, how old is Steve? 40-ish years old, walks with a cane, and he's found a little old country church way out there. And he goes out in that country church and he pastors that group of people and he's seeing them getting saved and he's seeing them getting baptized. The middle of nowhere, man, it is the middle of nowhere. And every time I see Steve, he's shaking. How you doing, Brother Steve? Oh, Brother Dave, I'm doing great. How you doing, brother? You're a blessing to me. This 40-year-old kid that looks like he's 80. His dad said this. My son, Stephen, he has suffered well. He has suffered well. Wow. That's powerful. It encourages me when I see that because his Savior is my Savior. And the same spirit that's in Stephen Hados is in me. And, and when those things come, there's, I need that example. I need to know you can suffer well. I don't know what's tomorrow. I have no idea. I like Shane Lewis's last words to his family before he passed away. I preached that Sunday, and it was the last time I even texted him. And he relapsed. We missed our Tuesday meeting. He looked at his family, and he said, we will not Get angry with God. He died well. Young man. Dear friend. Look at what 2 Corinthians says in verse 1. Go there. I believe that if you and I will suffer well, if we will go ahead and not react when the trials come, but we pause and say, Lord, why is this in my life? Help me to respond properly identify where the trial's coming from, and then, Lord, respond properly, not react. I believe we become a blessing to others, first by way of example, but second of all, through empathy. We begin to identify with what they're going through, and we suddenly have a heart for where they are because we're there too. Look at what's said in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. He said, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Boy, isn't that a good thought? Who comforteth us in some of our, no, all of our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. There it is. I remember, (laughs) for years, I hate to admit this, but there... People with back pain, I just didn't get it. Pray for me, Brother Dave. Man, I, you know, my back, and I'm like, you know, Marine Corps, suck it up, buttercup. You're acting like an army boy now. You know, I mean, I just, you know, Air Force, that's even worse. You know, Chair Force. Yeah, too bad. They already passed the plates. We don't do refunds, all right, guys? So (laughs) my rig needs the diesel. And then one morning I I woke up, you know, and I think the dumbest thing, I think I sneezed. And when I sneezed, ah, ah, hon, I need you. What for? You don't have to yell too loudly in a motor. Although we get older, we do have to yell a little more now because we don't. 
And she said, what's the problem? I said, I need you to help me dress me. I need help getting dressed. She says, why? I said, I think I threw my, oh, I did. I threw my, oh. And I was hoping she wouldn't say, suck it up, buttercup, you know. But, I mean, you know, it's not so funny anymore. Y'all with me? And if one of you came up to me and said, man, I got a, a back, lower back problem. I said, man, I know right where you are. It isn't funny, is it? Who's helping you get dressed? You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't think I would have been as empathetic had the Lord not allowed that pain and suffering to come in my life. And could it be tonight some of those things that he's allowed in? Because nothing comes in your life without his permission. They're there so you can empathize with others. Rely more on him to comfort you. And... Show people how to be faithful to the Lord, not because it's easy, but because he's worth paying a price to serve. I mean, all of that's so collective. We need this. We need to see this. And you need to allow God to just let you be that and to comfort you so you can encourage others. Allows us to be a blessing to others by example, in way of empathy, and then encouragement. And suffering's greatest benefit. People say there's no benefit in pain. There's no benefit in, so- in sorrow and suffering. There's nothing to be uh, beneficial in, in, in suffering and all kinds of loss. Well, then if that's true, you'll miss the greatest benefit suffering ever brought. And it's a perfect salvation through a suffering Savior. Write that down. This is the greatest benefit suffering brought to all of us. Notice what's said in 1 Peter 3, in verse number 18. In 1 Peter 3, in verse number 18, the Bible says this. For Christ also hath once, what? Suffered for sins. The just for the unjust He didn't suffer for his sin. He suffered for yours and for mine. That's not fair, we would say. And yet God said, no, that's mercy. That's grace. He says, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. And for what purpose? That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And Acts tells us this, for he must needs have suffered. Don't say there's no benefit that comes from suffering. Your eternal salvation rests upon a Savior who came not only not to do His will, but the will of the Father, but to literally suffer a cruel death on Calvary, the just for the unjust, that He might reconcile you to God. Without a suffering Savior, there is no salvation and eternal life. He poured out his soul and became a sacrifice, a suffering sacrifice for your sin. Wow, what benefits. And so tonight, as I close this thought down, I believe tonight that you and I should be grateful for the trials when they come. Go to Romans 8, and I want to close with this because this this should be our attitude as believers. 
I get it when unbelievers get all upset about trials and inconveniences, but it should never be the heart of a believer because we have a single verse in the Bible that precedes our conformity to Jesus Christ. And notice it's in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28 where the Bible says this, and this is to believers, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things, now all means everything, That's the good, that's the bad, that's the ugly, that's the trials, that's the cancer, that's the suffering, that's that's all of the above. All things work together for good, but notice, to them that love God, to them are the called according to His purpose. And notice where it lands us, into conformity to the image of Jesus Christ in verse 29. There's a famous hymn in our hymnal. It'll be the one I request tonight for invitation. More love to thee. If you don't know the hymn history in a nutshell, it centers around a lady by the name of Elizabeth Prentice. Elizabeth Prentice was born in 1818. She became not only a hymn writer, but a very prolific writer of books. Her most famous one is a novel to women called Stepping Heavenward. If you've never read it, you should read it. It's rich. She was saved at the age of 13. She married a preacher when she was 27. And seven years later, she lost two of her children, a four-year-old and an infant, within months of each other. Most of her life, she struggled with chronic health problems, And then finally died at the age of 59. She kept a journal, and though much of her life she lived the life of a near invalid, it was during these times that she noted she could refocus her understanding of her value and worth from doing to being. She she wrote, quote, I see now that to live for God, whether one is allowed ability to be actively useful or not, is a great thing. And that is a wonderful mercy to be allowed even to suffer if thereby one can glorify him. Following the death of her two children, she wrote in her journal, Empty hands, a worn out, exhausted body, and unutterable longings to flee from a world that has so many sharp experiences. She wrote, To love Christ more is the deepest need. The constant cry of my soul, out in the woods, on my bed, out driving the carriage when I'm happy and busy, when I'm sad and idle, the whisper keeps coming to me, more love, more love, more love. All things work together for good. And when you and I as believers can be grateful for the trial, the loss, the suffering, then we have the proper focus and attitude. But oftentimes we fight at all costs to avoid suffering in any way, shape, or form, and we miss the crucible of character and Christ-likeness. Amen? All things work together for them, work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to his purpose. The unusual minister of suffering.
Embrace her. Embrace her. There's great blessings when we respond properly. Let's bow hearts before the Lord. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As we close,